Section 15, comprising chapters 42 and 43 of Life and Adventures of Frank and Jesse James by J. A. Dacus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by P. J. Lando. Chapter 42, Excursions into Mexico, Wild Adventures Beyond the Border, Chasing Mexican Cattle Thieves, A Serious Time at Monclova, Frank and Jesse Escape. The wild, adventurous career of the boys has been wonderful. They love the road, love to ride at will over the land, and set at defiance the officers of the law. Nor have they confined their excursions to the American side of the Rio Grande. Not unfrequently they ride far away over the Sierra Madres into the Valley of the Lakes. In Coahuila and San Luis Potosí they are known of many. In some of these expeditions they pass through thrilling experiences and innumerable dangers. Those border rovers of Mexico who have crossed the path of the boys once and have escaped with their lives evince no disposition to renew hostilities with the gringo devils, as they affectionately call the American outlaws. In this chapter, we propose to relate some of the hair-breadth escapes of the daring outlaws in the land of the Otomis. These tales of wild life will not fail to interest the reader. One time, it was in the spring of 1877, Frank and Jesse James rode down to the bank of the River of the North, Piedras Negras, is a favorite crossing place both for Mexican cattle thieves and American outlaws. To this point came Frank and Jesse James. The river was high and the crossing was difficult. It was not the season for successful raiding, and the enterprising Mexican raiders had turned their attention to the business of revolutionizing their own country. In this pious undertaking, they had not met with that degree of success which justified them in rejoicing. The Lazzaroni, gathered at Piedras Negras, were particularly ill-humored, and the lonely Texan who came in their way could expect nothing better than to be plundered. Such was the situation of affairs when Frank and Jesse James arrived on the Texas side of the river in front of the wretched Mexican Pueblo. The surly greaser who acted as the Sharon at that point was even more surly than usual. But the boys had passed that way before, and the ferryman had a vivid recollection that one Estevan Sandoval, who had molested them on one occasion, was now no more in the land of the living. He complied with the usual tedious alacrity of his countrymen to set them across the stream. There was an unusual number of ill-looking fellows about the place, a fact which did not escape the immediate attention of the boys. There were regular brigands from the passes of the Sierra Madres, thieves from Matamoras, cutthroats from Saltillo, smugglers from all along the border, and rogues of all grades. The boys knew there was fun ahead. It must be said, to the credit of the Jameses, that they neither seek nor run away from a fight. In this case, the character of the boys was sustained. They proposed to pass on without stopping. In this benevolent intention, they were not destined to succeed. Riding through the square, or plaza, as the Mexicans call it, they passed on toward the country of woods beyond. They had not got out of the straggling village when a mob of half-drunken, howling Mexicans, mounted on horses, came after them, cursing and firing off their pistols as they came. It would have been well for some of them if they had never beheld the face of a gringo. Doubtless the leaders expected to see the boys use their spurs liberally and make time out of town. 
In this they were disappointed. The American outlaws were not accustomed to flee before such outfits. Instead of galloping away, they deliberately halted, and the inevitable pistols were drawn, and the fun began. The Jameses do not have occasion to kill unless they desire to do so, and they can easily disable an enemy without taking his life. In less time than is required to state the incident, four of the foremost of the rabble were on the ground with broken right arms. The remainder of the crowd turned and rode with all speed through the plaza. Actuated by some wild impulse which sometimes seems to possess them, the Jameses turned and rode back again to the square. It came near proving a fatal ride to Frank. Some of the Mexicans had taken refuge in an adobe house on one side of the plaza, and seeing the daring American outlaws sitting on their horses in the very midst of the place, in an attitude of defiance of all the brave men of Piedras Negras, they mustered courage to open fire upon the boys. A perfect shower of bullets was discharged, and one of them cut the brim of the hat worn by Frank James, narrowly missing the side of his head. Then the boys felt that they were in for a good deal of fun, and all scruple as to killing vanished. They shot to kill, and death was the doom of any greaser who came within their deadly range. Two were killed outright, and then the ill-natured mob that had sought to avenge the death of Esteban Sandoval fled from the village in terror, leaving the brothers in undisputed possession of the place. It was not their purpose to remain, and they rode on in a short time. That evening, when they were crossing a stream swollen by the recent spring rains, a party of brigands in ambush on the opposite bank opened fire upon them, and Jesse received a slight wound in the left shoulder. The boys charged the thicket which had afforded the robbers shelter, and the whole ten broke and fled, not, however, before one of their number was made to atone for the hurt which Jesse had received. This journey into San Luis Potosí was one fraught with many perils, and only the fate which seems to protect them enabled them to return into Texas. They met with a singular adventure on this trip. They had reached Monclova, a large town in Coahuila. Here they found an acquaintance, an old comrade of the guerrilla times. He had taken up his residence in Mexico, had married a handsome Mexican girl, and had settled down to a quiet life in a strange land. Of course he was glad to see the boys, whom he had not met since they parted in Kentucky. But he was captured and sent to prison. His home was placed at their disposal, and his Mexican wife received them with that cordial hospitality which is a characteristic of her countrywomen. Here they proposed to remain a day or two and rest. In accordance with the customs of the country, the Mexicanized American gave his old comrades a reception on the following afternoon, or rather evening, after their arrival. A reception in Mexico means a ball or fandango. Many of the leading citizens of Monclova attended the reception, for the friend of the Jameses was esteemed a very worthy citizen and respectable gentleman. Among the guests was a young lieutenant of the Mexican army and an American long resident in the country who came from the vicinity of Matawala. These two men scrutinized the faces of the boys in a very peculiar manner, and a careful observer could have seen the flushes of anger which ever and anon overspread their countenances. Jesse had noticed their behavior and called the attention of his brother to the strangeness of their conduct. He was sure that he had seen the American before somewhere, at some time, just when and where he could not remember. Frank was enjoying himself in the society of a fair senorita, 
and seemed to attach little importance to his brother's suggestions. But Jesse watched them closely, and became thoroughly convinced that he had met both men before, and he knew that the meeting had been that of enemies. The lieutenant and his companion did not remain long, but took their departure. There was at that time encamped in the environs of Monclova a brigade of the Mexican army, and the regiment to which the lieutenant belonged had barracks near the plaza. On leaving the ballroom, the two men went directly to the headquarters of the regiment, and found there the colonel and lieutenant colonel. The young officer at once laid before them the knowledge which he possessed concerning the character of the men who had been entertained in Monclova that night. Both men had a score to settle with the Jameses. The account of the American dating back to 1865, that of the young officer only a little more than a year, at which time, unfortunately, in one of the border broils, frequent about that time between Mexicans and Texans, the boys had killed a brother of the officer. The superior officers looked with favor on the scheme to arrest the boys. The more readily, too, did they agree to the plan of capture when informed that the American authorities were offering a reward of $50,000 for the apprehension of these men. It was a bonanza which the impecunious colonels hoped to gain. Silently as possible, a company of 80 men was mustered and marched to the house and immediately surrounded it. The merrymakers were just in the midst of an evening of enjoyment. Indeed, there was a sound of revelry by night, and the fair senoritas and chivalrous youths of Monclova were animated by high hopes and dreams of future bliss. Suddenly there was an interruption. The doors were thrown open, and an officer, accompanied by a guard, strode into the room. The violinist dropped his bow, the dancers stood still, the faces of women blanched, and men quailed before this apparition of war and bloodshed. The officer stepped briskly to the part of the room where the Jameses were standing, and addressing them in broken English, commanded them to surrender in the name and by the authority of the government of Mexico. Frank and Jesse looked at him with a disdainful, dangerous smile. Would they surrender without his being under the painful necessity of using force, inquired the officer? Never, the answer was firmly delivered. The officer turned toward the guards and gave a signal of command for them to move up. Stop! It was Jesse's voice of command. The officer waved the guards to halt. We have a proposition to submit. Will you hear it? If it means surrender, yes, replied the officer. It is this, pursued Jesse, not appearing to notice the purport of the officer's reply. Allow these ladies here to retire, and we will discuss the question with you. I shall be compelled to take you by force, said the officer. Let the ladies retire, I say, exclaimed Jesse James, in a tone that betrayed his impatience. The boys were not surprised without arms. They never lay aside a pair of pistols. They are ever at their sides and always ready for use. The officer parlayed. He did not desire to begin an affray in the midst of a company of ladies. His instincts as a gentleman revolted against subjecting them to alarm and danger. The house was surrounded. He had ample force to enforce the orders of his superiors. So he said, let the ladies all retire. The order was given at the door to the guards to allow the ladies to pass through. The ballroom was soon free from their presence. The men huddled in one corner and finally were permitted to retire into another room. Now, said the officer, lay down your pistols. I have an ample force to enforce these orders. 
The house is surrounded. You cannot get away. The answer he received was a derisive peal of laughter. At the same moment, a pistol flashed before the eyes of the officer as he raised his sword to signal his guard. He saw it, but for an instant. There was an explosion, and the officer fell dead to the floor. The guard, amazed, rushed forward to succor their fallen leader. They were thrown off their guard. One, two, three deafening reports, and three soldiers lay still, weltering in their gore. Celerity of execution is safety, was ever the motto of the Jameses. The guards who had followed their officer into the house fled when they saw their comrades fall. The boys rushed out of the house. The soldiers in the street met them with a volley of balls, but they were too much agitated to shoot well. The boys escaped with two or three trifling scratches. They opened fire on the line of guards around the house. Seized with consternation, the soldiers fled from their deadly revolvers. The whole town was excited. The streets began to teem with surging throngs of men, women, and children. The alarm drums were beat in the barracks. The soldiers hastily formed in line and marched to the scene of the disturbance. Never had Monclova been so shaken before. It was too late. The cause of all the hubbub had reached their horses, hastily saddled them, mounted, and were then thundering far away through the dark streets. They did not travel the highways after daylight the next morning, but they found a refuge in the mountains, and when the excitement had subsided, they went their way. Chapter 43. Death to the Border Brigands. Frank and Jesse pay their respects to Palacios's band. The raiders of the border punished by the American outlaws. A pleasant meeting with troops. The ranch of the James boys furnished a temptation to the Mexican border brigands, which they were in no wise able to resist, even if they had possessed the least particle of that moral sense which enables men to withstand temptation. The Jameses were successful rancheros. They lived out on the confines of the white settlements in Texas. Their fat herds spread over the valleys and ranged over many hills. This wealth of cattle excited the cupidity of the Mexican border banditti. They envied the outlawed boys their goodly possessions, and they were nerved to undertake to appropriate the herds, even if the lives of their owners should be taken in order to compass their wishes. There was a robber chief of Nueva Leon who had once been a faithful lieutenant of Cortinas, the robber governor of the state of Tamaulipas. This fellow, whose name was Juan Fernando Palacios, had achieved a local reputation about Piedras Negras, Eagle Pass, Meyer, and other localities on the upper Rio Grande as a daring freebooter and a bloody-minded murderer. He had gathered about him a band of men of like disposition with himself, principally fugitives from justice from the neighboring states. This gang of desperadoes numbered more than 30 men, and Palacios resolved to lead them over among the ranches of the Texans. There was much booty to be gained by a successful raid. It was at a season of the year when many herds were being pastured in the valley of the Pecos, and with thirty men and more he fondly hoped that he could come upon and discomfit all the quote-unquote cowboys in that region and drive away the well-conditioned herds at his leisure. It was in the autumn of 1877, the dry season had withered the grass on the hill slopes and the upland plains. But down in the valleys the grass was green, and the wild flowers bloomed in all the freshness of the springtime. Palacios and his brigands made careful preparations before they set out. 
There had been a season of quiet on the border. Several months had passed since the last raid was made. The Mexican brigand hoped to take the quote-unquote cowboys unawares, surprise them, kill them, and drive away their herds. This was his hope. Mexican brigands are good night travelers. Indeed, their most important movements are made in the night. During the daytime, if possible, they take shelter in the chaparral and remain quiet until the shades of night fall over valley and plain, and then under the starlight they ride, sometimes accomplishing long journeys in a thinly inhabited country without giving the least information of their presence. So secretly do they move. It was a lovely evening in October. There was no moon, but the stars shone brightly from the cloudless sky. El Paso was unusually quiet that evening. There was not a fandango in progress in the place. The sound of the violin was not heard within its borders. The senoritas sang no vesper hymns. Palacios and his robber band had gone across the river into Texas, and not many young men remained in El Paso. All night, beneath the silent stars, the mongrel band of the bandit chief rode on toward the settlements of the hated, as well as dreaded, Texans. Before dawn, they found shelter in a patch of chaparral in the valley of an affluent of the Rio Pecos. No one had seen them. Thirty miles or more they had ridden in the direction of the fat herds of the Texans. The day passed away, and once more the curtain of night fell, and the Mexican raiders rode in its shadow. By dawn they had reached the vicinity of a well-stocked ranch. A convenient shelter was sought and found near a little stream. The raiders were many miles from El Paso now, and the valleys and the hill slopes and the lower plains were dotted with great herds of cattle. But the rancheros had not yet discovered the presence of the enemy and rested in fancied security. Palacios and his band hovered near the herds all day. Men were sent out to ascertain the number of herdsmen attending the different droves. All this time the horses of the raiders were carefully concealed in a thicket by the bank of the stream. When the evening came on, Palacios was well informed of the locality of all the herds in his immediate neighborhood. Dividing his men into two bands, over one of which he appointed a notorious murderer from Meyer named Jesus Almonte, and assumed command of the other in person. The time appointed for the stampede of the herds was ten o'clock at night. At that hour, the western herdsmen are almost always sound asleep. Palacios was certain that his presence on the American side of the Rio Grande was not known. He had met no one, and his scouts had reported everything quiet among the herdsmen. Ten o'clock came. The Mexican robbers, well-armed and splendidly mounted, quietly left their covert. Almonte and his band proceeded two and a half or three miles up the stream, where a large herd of cattle were corralled. Palacios went down the creek to stampede another herd of seven or eight hundred head. The process of stampeding is thoroughly understood by the Mexicans. The herdsmen were aroused by the approaching horsemen, but it was too late. The Mexicans were among them, and Almonte's gang killed two of the cowboys at the upper herd, and Palacios' crowd killed one at the lower herd. The stampede was complete. The herds were turned toward the Rio Grande and driven rapidly away. All the remainder of that night and all the next day, the robbers pressed forward toward their place of concealment and shelter beyond the Rio Grande. 
As yet no pursuers had appeared, but Palacios knew well that they were not safe on this side of the river. He knew that the Avengers were on his track, and he cared not to see the face of a Texan at that time. Coming at night time to the river some distance below El Paso, he crossed over with all his booty and speedily made himself comfortable among his sympathizing countrymen and countrywomen. It chanced about that time that Frank and Jesse James rode down toward the Rio Grande to make observations and enjoy life just beyond the borders of civilization. Being somewhat in the outlaw business themselves, they cared very little for the borders of civilization, or for that matter, for the interior. While riding, they met one of the sorely disconsolate herdsmen who told the story which we have related, with many embellishments, for instance, that a band had come out of the South Country, killed all the herdsmen in the valley, driven off all the herds, and that he only was left alive to tell of their fate. To this doleful tale, Frank and Jesse James gave good heed, for one of the missing herds had been on their property. The two brothers consulted together as to what could be done under the circumstances. They had been into Mexico on many occasions before, and although the frightened herdsmen had magnified the numbers of the raiders, so that they appeared a mighty host, Frank and Jesse James were not the men to submit tamely to downright robbery. The brothers resolved to pursue the raiders. And so they rode on and on until they came to the Rio Grande. It was in the early morning. The October sun had not yet appeared above the horizon, but all the eastern sky was refulgent with the coming glories of a lovely day. Frank and Jesse James had ridden far, but their horses were not jaded, and as for themselves, physical endurance is their normal characteristic. They were ready for any desperate adventure such as they were then engaged in. Only for a moment did they pause when they emerged from the river. Their firearms were carefully examined, and then they urged their horses onward. El Paso was silent. The inhabitants had not yet awakened from their slumbers. Palacios and his band, with their stolen herds, had passed on through the village in the direction of the mountains. Their trail through the sand was still fresh. The James boys rode on. Three miles away they came to the camp. Deeming themselves safe, the Mexican raiders had taken no precautions to guard against surprise. The herds had been corralled, and the bandits, wearied by their long marches, slumbered heavily. Cautiously approaching the Mexican camp, the two brothers, with that quick perception for which they are distinguished, saw at a glance the situation of the camp and the position of the sleeping robbers. The dreamers were suddenly aroused by the reports of the Avengers' pistols. Jesse and Frank James were in their midst and dealing death to the miscreants ere they could grasp their weapons. Some who dreamed were sent to their account before the fantasy had cleared from their brains. With a death-dealing pistol in each hand, they fired with incredible rapidity, and at each discharge an unfortunate wretch fell to rise no more. Terror-stricken, the robbers fled in every direction. Some were arrested in their flight by the unerring aim of the outlawed brothers, and some more fortunate escaped to the mountains with life only, everything being left behind in order that they might save it. The corral was broken up. The boys are skillful herdsmen, and soon the great tramping drove was turning toward the Rio Grande. Ten dead robbers, stark and still among the cactus patches, testified to the prowess of the American desperadoes. They passed back through the village. 
Not a man was visible. They had heard of the fate of their robber friends. Terror-stricken, they had abandoned their homes and fled into the chaparral beyond the hills, which at this point approached the river. The boys were hungry after their morning's engagement, and halting at the little adobe posado, they ordered breakfast, taking care that it was prepared under their personal supervision, in order that no treachery on the part of their unwilling entertainers should succeed. The feat which they had accomplished was one of the most daring ever recorded in the annals of border strife. Then the nonchalant way in which they had ordered the trembling inhabitants to minister to their physical comfort furnished further proof of the admirable nerve of these remarkable men. After refreshing themselves, the boys at their leisure recrossed the Rio Grande with nearly the whole number of cattle which the bandits had driven away. Desperados as they were, Palacios and Almonte were indisposed to surrender the rich prize which they had secured, as they thought, without any effort. The two chiefs had stopped in the village the night previous to the arrival of the Jameses, and were not in the camp at the time of the attack of the boys. In El Paso they lay hidden in a heap of hay, while Frank and Jesse regaled themselves with the best the market afforded. The Mexicans were convinced that a large force of gringo diablos were at hand, and they feared for their lives. They waited for the appearance of the squadrons of rangers in vain. Gradually it began to dawn upon their dull comprehension that the whole force of the gringos numbered just two men. Palacios, Almonte, and a few of their followers rallied some hours after the boys were on their march over the rolling plains of Texas. They were furious and boasted of what great things they intended to accomplish. Sometime toward noon, they cautiously approached the river, reconnoitered, and finally ventured to cross over. There was no enemy in sight, and the twenty-five brigands of the border became valiant and set out on the trail of the boys who were marching on with their recaptured herds. Encumbered as they were by a vast drove of cattle, their progress was slow. Toward evening the Mexican bandits came in sight, but they did not venture to attack. Hovering on the rear and galloping along the flanks of the moving herd, the Mexicans made a thorough reconnaissance of the force of Americans. There were just two men, and no more. Emboldened by this knowledge, they approached with a view of stampeding the herd. Five well-mounted men were sent to engage the boys, while the others advanced on the left flank of the herd but they did not know the character of the men they sought to kill out there on the plains. Secured to the saddles which they bestrode, each carried a long-range sixteen-shot Winchester rifle. The bandits came within range. If they ever prayed, the time for prayers had arrived. They were approaching, unwittingly it may be, the margin of the river of death. The black angel hovered over them. The sun of time was being surely extinguished. Detaching their deadly rifles from the fastenings, each singled out his man, took deliberate aim, touched the trigger, and instantaneously two Mexican robbers fell to the earth, pierced through their hearts. Their comrades marked their fall and knew the cause. They turned to flee. It was too late. Even as they turned, two more of them fell, pierced through and through by the unerring bullets from the steadily aimed rifles of the American outlaws. The other one of the five fled and succeeded in making his escape. The boys fully comprehended the designs of the Mexicans, and Jesse suggested that he would ride to the summit of the swell to the left to see what those devils are about. 
Riding rapidly up the slope, his horse was soon reined up on the crest of the ridge. There he discovered on the slope below him a party of some fifteen armed men. Bringing his rifle to bear, a Mexican saddle was emptied in an instant. The raiders replied, but their guns could not send a ball so far. They were not less than four hundred yards away. Jesse continued to empty saddles until four men were down. The Mexicans turned and fled, and Jesse gave them a parting salute, which brought down a horse. When he rejoined his brother, he remarked sententiously, Well, I've prepared a feast for the vultures over yonder. How many are down? asked the other. Oh, only four men and one horse, he answered, with a grim sort of smile. The dangerous time for them was the shadowy hours. They knew that all the brigands of that region would take their trail. They were a hundred miles from any certain succor. The Mexican raiders were not to be despised in a night affray. They expected attack, and it is one of the peculiarities of the boys that they never sleep when there is danger around them. The severe losses which they had sustained only rendered the pursuers more wary, but they still hovered around. The boys expected an attack that night. The sun was sinking low in the west, and the brothers were earnestly consulting as to the best means of guarding against the consequences of a night attack. See, said Frank, away there on that ridge whose top the sun is gilding. Are those moving objects men on horseback or a herd of buffalo? What do you think? The brothers halted. Since their removal to Texas, they never ride abroad without carrying with them a field glass each. They now raised their glasses and looked long and earnestly at the dark objects moving between them and the horizon. They're mounted men, said Jesse. Texans, Mexicans, Lepons, or Comanches? Which do you say? asked Frank. Jesse looked again. The mounted men were nearly two miles away, a long distance to determine the character of men or designate their nationality. Long and carefully did he scrutinize the movements of the horsemen. Soldiers, Federal soldiers, by Jehovah, he exclaimed. Well, I've seen the time that I would not like to see such a company, but I'm confounded glad they've come around this evening. I'll get a nap tonight anyway. It was agreed that Jesse should ride forward and inform the officer in command of the presence of Palacios's band of raiders. He spurred his horse forward over the high rolling swells of prairie toward the horsemen who were also advancing. The Mexicans saw this movement and saw the horsemen. They at once surmised that a detachment of Mackenzie's command was out looking for them, and turning about, they rode hastily back the way they came. The boys were left in peace. The detachment of cavalry swept onward in pursuit of the fleeing raiders, and the herd, fatigued by long driving, were indisposed to scatter. The return to the pastures from whence they had been driven was leisurely made. The boys returned safely to their abode, and Jesse was welcomed by one who worships him as the world's noblest hero. End of section 15